Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. One more time, can we just clap our hands and thank God for His goodness. Thank you for His grace. Amen and amen. Well, you can have a seat right where you are. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you sounded good this morning. Come on, just let them know you sounded good this morning. Well, once again, in case uh, maybe you walked in a little bit late and we haven't met, my name is Brandon and I'm one of the pastors here. My wife and I in particular are the campus pastors here at our TGK location. And uh, I just wanna once again, just say not only welcome to church, but thank you for being here. We say it often, but uh, the church, uh, we, we're not just a social club. Thank you so much, worship team. I assumed something I shouldn't have assumed. It's all good. Um, but we're, we're not just, just, just a social club. We're not just a get together. We're not just, um, you know, a gathering that, that, that meets in rows and sings songs and sermons. We're a body, we're a family. And because of that, we really do believe that every single person that's called to this church has, has, has a unique, uh, we'll say it this way, a gift or a grace from God. You add something to the equation. And so when you're not here genuinely, we miss you. And so every week we say welcome, but also just thank you for making the decision to be here this morning and to engage and participate in our worship and in our gathering together. Hey, if you got a Bible, go with me this morning to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, not a big deal. All the words will be on the screen. But if you got one, Matthew chapter 16. We are um, concluding today a series that we have been in for the last number of weeks, a series that we've entitled this Faith Awakened, Faith Awakened. And um, if you've been here, then you know this, but if you haven't been here, I'll kind of catch you up. This is part of a three-part sermon series collection that uh, Pastor Gill's entitled Three Essential Things. That comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where the apostle Paul writes, and these three things shall remain, faith, hope, and love. However, the greatest of these being love. And it really is kind of the, the heartbeat of our church, the people we're trying to become, the place that we're trying to create, a people and a place where God's love is confirmed, hope is renewed, and faith comes to life. That, that no matter who you are, where you are, what's happening, that when you get around this people in this place, you would know that God loves you. God is for you. God, God loves and has more care and concern for your life than you can even intellectually comprehend. There is a God, he is a good God, and he is for your life. And not only does God love us, but there is hope. We did a series called Hope, talking about that hope is not wishful thinking, but it's an expectation of good. Bible hope is not the hope that my six-year-old daughter has who her birthday is this coming Friday and she has so many things she's hoping for that she will not get. It's not wishful thinking. Bible hope is this confident expectation of good that is to come. It's this confidence that, no, I know who God is and I know what Jesus has provided and I know what God says to me, what God says about me. And so even though this might be difficult right now, I have confident expectation there is good in my future. And all of this is by faith. The Bible says that it's not by your good works and your performance, although sometimes we think that the more disciplined and hardworking and the more determined we are, that the better God loves and approves, but it's just not the case. The Bible says all of God's kingdom, it's, it's through faith, but it's of grace. 
It's the unearned, undeserved, unmerited love and blessing and favor of God that is freely poured out because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. And so we've been in this series, the last one in this collection on faith. And Pastor Gil started the series talking about what faith is, uh, why faith is so uh, uh, essential and important, how it is that we get faith and we grow in faith. And last week, Pastor Gil talked about the partnership of faith, that God actually partners with us and we can go to him all the time, anytime. And he doesn't just wait for us to perform, but he comes alongside of us. I, I really would encourage you, I think it's in my Bible. I really would encourage you, if you haven't already, that you would grab one of these study guides. Uh, mine is full of pens and highlighters and underlines and circles because I've been using it, studying and listening along. Uh, but I'd encourage you to grab one of these. And if you haven't been with us, to go back and to listen to the podcast, grab the YouTube videos and uh, follow along because it's been a phenomenal series. But today, as we conclude our series, we're gonna talk about, it's the title in the workbook, uh, The Permanence of Faith. In other words, we're talking about today, how do we have faith that actually lasts? How do we have faith that withstands the test of time? How do we have faith that isn't hot and cold, wishy-washy, here one day and gone the next? How do we have faith that has a permanence to it? And I ask you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 16. It's where I wanna read from today. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And before we read these two, three, uh, three, three verses, I wanna give you a little bit of just context. Maybe it's not context, maybe it's just reminding you of something, and that is this, that Jesus, he did not come to just be our savior, but he came to give us an example. Bible says, I believe it's John chapter 13, he said, I've come that you may follow in the example that I've given for you. So, so Jesus didn't come from heaven to earth as like just a spiritual robot programmed to fulfill the plan of God that God had for his life as the savior of humanity. No, Jesus was fully man and fully God. And in the same way that you and I, we, we discover and we grow in intimacy and relationship with God. In the same way that we discover and we through God's spirit have, have a revelation of what it is that God's called us to do, the purpose and plan that God has for our life. And in the same way that we have to walk by faith, Jesus had to do the same. Again, Jesus was not a pre-programmed robot that came from heaven to earth that was just set on automatic, but he was the example that we have been given to follow that we might know how do we grow in a relationship with God? How do we discern and know the will of God for our life? And how do we by faith, someone say faith, how do we by faith walk in and fulfill that plan of God and as we're talking about the permanence, the, the permanent nature of the faith that we want, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be wishy-washy. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those people that I'm uh, hot one day, cold the next. I'm full of faith and anticipation one day, and the next I'm down in the dumps. No, I want to have a confidence that lasts. And I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, because I believe in these three verses, Jesus, he, he gives us an example that we're gonna see three things in this passage today that I believe will really be encouraging and help us know how to live this life of, of permanent kind of faith. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Again, I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter, well-meaning 
good intended, but often off Peter. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By the way, if you're rebuking Jesus, you, you got some stones, you, you got some courage. And then he began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. In other words, Peter pulls him aside and Peter goes, Jesus, I don't, I don't know if you need like a sabbatical. I don't know if you need to get more rest. Um, how's your, how's your, how's your nutrition right now? You've been eating well. Have you been, are you hydrated? Because this is crazy. Far, you're not, I know things are getting, are getting heavy. I know things are difficult, but no, you're not gonna die. You are not gonna go and be crucified. And, and he, he begins to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. In verse 23, we're, we'll spend a little bit of time today. But he being Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. We're going to talk about that in a minute because he's not calling them Satan. He's identifying something. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense. That word offense means a stumbling block, means a hindrance, means something that's in your way that is inhibiting you from getting to where you're trying to go. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. Listen to this. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of Men. The title in your workbook for the sermon today is The Permanence of Faith, but I want to give you this title for this particular message. Simply this, if you're taking notes, you can jot it in your book. Uh, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. H have you ever made up your mind about something before? And, and whatever it is, you were just determined on the inside, I will not budge. This ever happened to you? Have you ever made a decision maybe in your household and someone in your household maybe under the age of 18 is trying to challenge that decision. And you're like, listen, I pay the bills around here. I will not move. You ever had a, an opinion or a thought you were trying to defend? Maybe you're uh, in the parking lot and you're going the right direction and someone comes the wrong direction and is trying to take the parking spot that you rightfully already claimed. And you just go, I'm not going to move. Title of the sermon today, I'm not moving. I, I don't know if you have kids, but kids, if you don't know, uh, they have a way of making you budge. They have a way of making you move, change some of your predetermined ideologies. I remember before we had kids, um, I had a lot of very, very large opinions about how parenting should go. By the way, if you're not a parent, I would highly encourage you that you would have little opinions, not big opinions, um, because you don't know until you know. Can I get an amen from all the parents? All the free time you have and all the sleep you're getting that's allowing you to have these large opinions, I just think maybe you should invest it somewhere else because you don't know until you know. But I had all these really large opinions like, you know, our, our kids, they're never going to use electronics like that. That's, that's just, that's excessive. Never will my kids be sitting there with a phone like that. That is, that's not okay. Uh, never in a restaurant will my kids be that loud. Never in a public place are we gonna be disturbing to people that are paying good money to have a date right now. No way. Never, first of all, never will I have a minivan. Never. <laughs> and if I do have a minivan, never will it look like this. I remember one time 
my wife volunteered us and told me uh, that we were gonna be babysitting some friends of ours, kids for the whole weekend. And I'm like, the whole weekend? Like Friday night is enough, but that sounds excessive. And I remember um, God is my witness getting in their minivan being like, oh Lord, never will I ever leave French fries like this. Like this is, this is God, they need to repent. But, but, but kids have a way of making you budge. I have a minivan. And it is often embarrassing the things that are in the floor of our minivan. Never will I ever let my kids sleep in my bed. And yet there was a child on my floor last night that snuck in the middle of the night. We did not know they were even there till this morning. Kids have a way of making you budge. I think it's not too dissimilar to the, to, 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 to the walk of faith because nobody starts being double-minded. Like, like nobody starts in their faith journey being double-minded in a sense that, ah, I'm gonna be hot, I'm gonna be cold. No, no one starts in their faith journey having already decided that all the things that they're so passionately convinced of and believing in this moment, they will probably change their mind and back off of. But life kind of has a way of doing that to us, does it not? The things that, it may be a, a worship service like this or in a time alone with God that you were so convinced of and so passionate about that God said this. God spoke this to me. God, I will never be the same. God, I will give you my whole life. I know God made me this promise. Life, discouragement, and exhaustion, circumstance, situation, it has a way of causing us to budge, does it not? And, and yet it's important for us to acknowledge that and simultaneously go, wait, well, hold on, but how do I not budge? Because we won't read this, but James chapter one, you can go there and the Bible says this in James chapter one, that the double-minded man, the man who's hot one day, cold the next, believes God one day, doesn't believe God the next, that he should not expect to receive anything from God. That's not my words, that's, that's the words of Jesus written through, through James. He says the double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways. He should not assume or suppose that he'll receive anything from God because he's in, then he's out. He's hot, then, then he's cold. How do we in the midst of just life that can cause us to budge and wanna, how do we remain permanent in our faith? And I'm gonna give you these three thoughts today. They're in your workbook. Uh, number one, you can write this down, that we have to assume a posture of faith. We have to assume a posture of faith. I wanna read this to you. It's kind of from the workbook. Um, a posture of faith is this. It is assuming a posture of mind, will, and emotion that resists anything and everything that would attempt to sever the partnership of faith we have with God. A posture that resists anyone and anything that seeks to convince you and I that God is not who he says he is and he will not do what he said he would do. A posture of faith is not so much a physical posture as much as it is an internal posture. One that says, I will not move off of what I know that God said to me. Jesus demonstrates this for us in this interaction that we have between him and Peter in Matthew 16, verse 23. I'll read it to you one more time. Matthew 16, 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. 
I, I, I love this posture that Jesus doesn't stop to talk about it. He, he doesn't stop to question. He simply says, no, 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 no. I've made up my mind. I know what God has says. I know where I'm going. You need to move. You, you need to get behind me. And, and I love not that he calls Peter Satan, because that's not what he's doing, but I love that he identifies something. That first and foremost, the attack or the resistance we will feel, first and foremost, it is always a spiritual attack. Can I get an amen? We have to recognize that in the same way we have a God who Romans 8, 28 works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that we have an enemy who seeks to work all things together to get us off of and away from what God has said, what God has, and what God is asking us to do. And Jesus isn't calling Peter Satan necessarily. He's not saying you're evil, you're demonic. No, what he's recognizing is, hey, th this is the enemy. This, this conversation, this interaction, this, this encounter right now that is trying to get me to go away from what I know God has said, this is, this is of the enemy. The Bible says this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 10. We'll read it from the screen. Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Pause. I think it would serve us much good if we would just recognize and acknowledge that there is an enemy and he does not sleep, he does not take vacations, he is not in Florida right now. There is an enemy and all of our life he is seeking, he's looking for every opportunity to seek, kill, devour. John 10, 10, the, the thief comes not, uh, but, not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. And the Bible says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But listen to verse nine. But you are to resist him steadfastly in the faith. He's not just coming once, he's gonna come knocking twice. And he's gonna come knocking three times. And he's gonna look for another opportunity, for another angle, for another conversation. And the Bible says you have to resist him steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same suffering is experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But you, I'm sorry, but may the good, the, or the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect you and establish you and strengthen you and settle you. Peter writes and Peter goes, you just have to know that there is an enemy and he seeks to get you off of and out of the will of God for your life and you have to resist him. You have to assume a posture of faith that it has, it has, has determined, I will not move. You might say, say Brandon, how, how do I do that? Number two, you can write this down simply this, that we have to establish a place in faith. We have to establish a place in faith. I'm going to take just a few moments and I, and I want to elaborate a little bit. When we say a place in faith, here's what we mean. Uh, Hebrews 11.6, we won't turn there for time's sake, but Hebrews 11.6, maybe, maybe one of the most famous faith verses in all the Bible, uh, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That word without, someone say without. That word without in Hebrews eleven six. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll just read you the definition from the book. Without is the Greek word, which means to be outside of something, such as someone who lives outside the perimeter of a city. That, that word without doesn't necessarily mean to not have as, as much as it is speaking to where your life has been established. Not your geographical location, but on the inside where you've chosen to live your life where you've chosen to plant your feet. And it doesn't as much describe someone who does not have, but rather someone who is outside of a perimeter, outside of the city limits. What Hebrews eleven six tells us and shows us is that we have to live a life that we've made a decision to plant our feet inside, to sell our house, to pack our bags, to get a new license and a new address and to move into the city, the perimeter of faith. I th think about my in-laws. They had for, um, I don't know, forever, I, I guess, uh, been vacationing in a certain spot in Florida. And they'd made up their mind that when they retired, we're moving here. This people, this place, this is where we wanna live. And when they retired, they sold their house. They packed their bags. They said goodbye to us and free babysitting, and they moved to, to where they'd always made up their mind, this, this is where we wanna live. Can I tell you that with ability comes responsibility? So much of the life of faith, by the way, is recognizing that God has given you the ability. God has given you the ability. I don't care what has happened or where you are, you're not a victim. God has given you the ability. He said that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus that you, 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 you may be down, this may have happened to you, this, this may be happening around you, but you've been given authority and victory and, and spiritual heritage. You, you have ability and, and you have to recognize, I have the ability to choose where I live my life. I can live my life inside the perimeter, inside the walls, inside the city of faith. Just say, no, nah, man, for me and my household, like we're, we're gonna believe God. No, 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 we're, we're, we're living in this space, in this place right here where we trust him, we believe him. He's our source, he's our provider, he's our God, he's our source of wisdom and counsel and comfort. We're not looking to the right or to the left, we're looking to, to him. And because we have the ability, we have the responsibility. Anytime God gives us the ability, he, he, he with it gives us the responsibility to steward that. And can I say this? So much of, of living inside the city, the perimeter of faith, it, it is living with the right people in the right place. Did you know that relationships are one of the most powerful things that we have? That relationships are significant? That relationships matter? I want to read you a couple of verses this morning and... Um, I want to show you this just from God's word. Uh, Proverbs 12, 26, listen to what it says. It says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For so many of us, we, we allow relationships to just happen to us. We, we have the relationships we have just by coincidence. Uh, we're on the same team. We work at the same job. We live in the same neighborhood. Our kids go to the same school. The Bible says ah, the righteous should actually choose his friends carefully. 
for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. I, I, I love the definite language the, 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 the writer of Proverbs doesn't go, you know, sometimes when you get around the right people, you, you become like them. No, it, it's the old saying, show me your friends and I will show you your future. I heard this quote recently and I don't know who it's by, but, but I heard this quote from a podcast I was listening to that whatever, you, uh, whatever you're around, it will get on you, then it will get in you, then it will come out of you. That whatever you're around, whoever you're around, it, it gets on you. And before long, it, it actually get, gets in you. And before you know it, it's, it's coming out of you. Proverbs 4.23 would say, above all else, guard your heart. Guard what's around you and getting on you and getting in you for out of it flows the issues of life. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35, he said, listen, out of the abundance of your heart, your whole life speaks. It is impossible for an evil man to bring from the evil treasure of his heart good. But in the same way, it's impossible for a man who's got good treasure in his heart to bring forth evil. If it's in you, it's coming out of you. And, and I just want you to see this morning that so much of us living a life in faith, it's getting around people of faith. So, so, so much of living a life in faith, it's consciously choosing to move in to, to a city, into a place with a people, that they're a people of faith. You'd have to, to, to go back to week number one, but when we say of faith, we don't just mean people that are Christians. Yeah, bro, I'm a Christian too. Totally, man. I love church. I love the third song. It's always the most intense, you know? Like people seem to like really get into it and uh, it's, it's my favorite one. No, it, faith is not just a belief in Jesus, but when we say faith, we're saying someone that's rooted their feet to go, no, I trust God. He is my source. And I'm, I'm posturing my life to listen and say, God, speak to me. I don't wanna go where you don't tell me to go. I don't wanna do what you're not asking me to do. I don't want to give my time, my talent, my energy to things that you're not asking me. I know it seems good, but there's a way that seems right to a man and the end is destruction. So God, I want to hear your voice and follow your leading. And so much of that, it's getting around the right people. I don't really know if that's, that applies to me. Can I tell you one of the greatest plagues of church people these days is the acknowledgement of scripture and, and yet the failure to acknowledge it actually applies to you. We know so much more than we actually live. We quote unquote believe so much more than our life actually tells. And I love this, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, the apostle Paul, he writes, and just in case we were kind of in one of those modes, he goes, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Can I tell you, I'm not so much talking about whether or not you're around good people or bad people. I'm asking the question, are you surrounded by faith people? Because I can think back to critical moments in my life where I've had to recognize, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to believe God for something. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live out this plan that he has for my life. I'm trying to actually put action to things that he's spoken to me in the secret place. And he's given me revelation of what he's asking me to do and where he's asking me to go. And every time I'm around this group of people, I get discouraged 
Every time I'm around this group of people, I find more reasons and excuses to actually not say yes to Jesus. Because they're Christians, but they're not living in faith. I remember my, 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 my grandma, she used to say, Brandon, I'm praying for you to find a Jonathan friend. I'm like eight years old. I'm like, I don't know anybody named Jonathan, grandma. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure who that is. I don't know why it's important that his name is Jonathan. Um, but, but what she was talking about was, was Jonathan and David. Can I tell you, you need a Jonathan friend. Brandon, what is a Jonathan friend? David was anointed king of Israel. And, and, and David would have been taking the place of, of Jonathan. Saul, Jonathan's father, was king and the king, kingdom was rightfully Jonathan's. But God anointed David to be king. And, and Saul was so furious and so angry and so jealous of what, what God was doing that he, he, he allocated all of the resources of Israel to hunt down and murder David. Uh, Saul actually would, would become angry with Jonathan, going, Jonathan, don't you realize that he's a threat to your kingship? Yet Jonathan continued, continued to come around David. And, and Jonathan and David, they would have these interactions where David would go, I don't know, I, it, I'm, I, I, I think it's over, man. I, I, I don't think any of that stuff that God said is actually gonna happen. And, and Jonathan would actually grab David and go, no, 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 come on. Like, you know you're gonna be king. You know God is faithful. And Jonathan surrounded and lifted David up and kept David in faith. It's been some of the most crucial, pivotal moments in my life that I've had to evaluate relationship. I'm not talking about good people versus bad people. I'm talking about people of faith. God, who right now are you surrounding my life with that's gonna keep me in faith? God, right now, this is difficult, it's hard, and I'm very tempted to pack my bags, sell my home, and move back outside the city. But God, you said I'm supposed to be in the city, so I need some people to help me stay here. I need some people to get around me and encourage me and speak life into me and speak God's word over me and listen to my grumbling and listen to my complaining and lovingly patiently say, I understand that and I feel that and I hear it, but that's not God. But that's the voice of the enemy. We, we gotta make a decision that we're gonna posture our life in faith and live within the perimeter of faith around the people of God that God would bring in. And lastly, you can write this down, Point number three, closing thought this morning is simply this, that not only do we have to assume a posture of faith, establish a place in faith, but we have to protect the purity of faith. Protecting the purity of faith has to do with not allowing natural, earthly, carnal wisdom to creep in and taint the purity of trusting and believing in the supernatural power of God to do what only God can do. Someone please tell me how Noah and the ark made sense. It didn't. Someone please tell me how the story of Abraham made sense. It didn't. Someone please tell me how Daniel in the lion's den. We, we could go on and on and on. Uh, the story of David and Goliath. On and on and on with Bible stories. These heroes, tell me how they made sense in the natural. The answer is they didn't. See, we, we gotta be, be reminded that we're called to something that is not natural, it is supernatural. If, if we were simply trying to figure things out and equation away our life, we wouldn't need faith. 
We wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need a supernatural savior that has supernatural ability and the purity of faith. It is taking God's word, taking and receiving what God speaks to us and saying, God, I don't, I don't fully know how this makes sense, to be honest. I could actually think of a lot of ways and a lot of reasons why this doesn't make sense. But God, this is what you've given to me as a promise. And I know that like Spencer was saying, you're a good heavenly father. See, Pastor Go pre preaches week number one. I thought it was so brilliant that we gotta remember faith at its purest form, it's relational. That my faith is not in my faith. My faith's not in my ability to have faith. My faith is in him. My faith is in this good heavenly father who so loves me and so desires life for me that he comes alongside me and he gives me promises and he, he, he gives me words. He, he, he gives me solutions. He says, hey, this is what I wanna do. And the purity of faith is saying, God, I believe your supernatural ability, but it's because I believe you. The Bible says this in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know or prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Colossians chapter two, starting in verse six. I wanna read you verse six through nine. Listen to what Paul says. As you therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. But let me say it this way. As you've received the promises of God, so walk in them. As you've received what God has spoken to you personally and individually, so walk in it. As you've received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in faith, rooted and built up in him, established in faith, as you have been thought abounding in it with thanksgiving. I love this though. Beware. Someone say beware. Beware though, lest anyone, well, hold up, that, that's relationship. This, this is not the sermon, but, but it is a sermon, the power of relationship. I think back to the book of Galatians where Paul writes to this group of people who were supernaturally awakened to the reality of God. Who, who were supernaturally awakened to the reality that Jesus has done everything so we can receive everything. And he came back and the same people were tied up and bound in religious legalistic culture. And I don't remember the verse, but in Galatians, he says more than once, he goes, hey, who has bewitched you? I, what? Who, who came in? Who found their way into your group? Who found their way into your household? Who found their way into your thinking? Who found their way into your life? Who did you allow in that has so bewitched you that you've turned away from the purity of that which was Christ? Paul, Paul seems to think this applies to more than just the church of Galatia because he says it everywhere. Colossians is another place, Colossians 2, where he writes this, but beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit 
according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and yet not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But but, but as it is written, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I'm gonna jump real quick. But as it is written, Paul writes, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Pause right there. So Paul writes in Colossians, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you. Can I ask you a question? Have you been cheated out of God's best? Have you been cheated out of the supernatural power of God, out of the, out of the abounding love of a savior that seeks to come into your household, come into your space and your place, meet you where you are and rescue you and deliver you and free you and heal you. And have we been cheated by mere tradition and philosophy by how smart and educated we are, by how good we are at building equations for successful living? Have we been cheated not remembering that we are those who have been caught out of the world? Though we live in the world, we've been caught out of the world and we now live in a different realm by a different standard with different resources. We are the children of God. We have a heavenly father who's made all things available. And, and Paul writes in Colossians, don't get cheated. But then in 1 Corinthians, he, he writes, remember that your natural eye can't see it, but it's the spirit of God that reveals it to you. If we had time, we'd read the entire passage because what he goes on to say is remember the natural man, he'll never get it. The natural man, he can't receive it. The natural man, he doesn't understand it. Your coworkers don't get it. The circle you're in right now, they can't see it. Why? Because they're living with a natural mindset. He goes, it's the spirit of God that opens our eyes supernaturally to see the things freely given to us by him. You gotta be in the spirit to see the things of the spirit. And this is Jesus in Matthew 16. By the way, he's talking to the man that verses earlier He said, wow, Peter, wow, you have revelation of who I am and I'm gonna use you to build my church. He's not marginalizing who Peter is. He's just saying in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, hey, in this instant, Peter, I see something you can't see. Can, can, Can we be okay, by the way? Can we have enough confidence in God to at times see things in here that other people can't see? Can can we have enough confidence in him that we don't always need the relational affirmation to know we're we're doing the right thing? Can we have enough confidence in God to go, there's gonna be times that I can see something in here. I feel something, I know something by the spirit of God in here. They don't get it because they can't see it. And he goes, Peter, just just for a moment, I'm gonna need you to move. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna need this relationship just for a moment to move because I'm trying to get to Jerusalem. I'm trying to get to the fulfillment of all things that God's placed on my life. And right now you're a hindrance. Right now you're an obstacle. Right now you're standing in my way. And it's not because you have bad intent. It's because, what does he say, Matthew 16, 23? Because you're mindful 
of, of the things of man. You're seeing right here, Peter. I'm seeing right here. And right now you're resisting me, not because you don't love me, not because you're not for me. No, you're with me. It's just that I can see something you can't see. It's something in the spirit. How do we stay permanent in our faith? Well, we have to posture our heart to go, okay, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't care what it is or what's gonna happen. I'm just, I'm making the decision. I will not move. I will not budge. I'm staying right here with what God said. And for, for me to stay here, I'm gonna need to surround my life with some people of faith. I'm, God, I'm gonna need you to supernaturally open up my eyes right now. I need you to see the people you've already put in proximity that you've actually placed there for a reason. I need some people of faith. I, God, I need you to send me some Jonathans that are gonna keep me encouraged and gonna keep me moving the right direction that can listen to me, but will push me forward. And God, I need you to keep revealing to me by your spirit and help me to see things at a higher level so I don't taint the purity. I don't compromise the purity of what, of what you've spoken to me. And I believe that as we do, what does the Bible say that like those who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God, that as we stay permanent in our faith, through faith and endurance, you will receive all that God has promised you. Can I pray for you this morning? God, we thank you for your word to us. God, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice this morning, including myself. And I pray, Holy Spirit, in these moments, you would remind them, remind us of what you've promised us. Yes, we have some generic promises, not to marginalize those, but God, there are specific promises you've given to every single one of us. You've climbed into our circumstance and situation and you've made us promises, us guarantees. And I pray that God this morning, we would maybe for the first time or maybe to a greater level, we would fortify ourselves and assume the posture of faith. We'd say, God, I'm not gonna move. I'm, I'm not gonna be double-minded. God, would you help us to move into the city of faith, inside the perimeter of faith, to plant our feet in the right places and surround ourselves with the right people and help us to protect the purity, the purity that we're believing for something supernatural. We're not settling for something that's natural and compromised. Lord, this morning as we close in a, a chorus, a bridge of worship, I pray that you would take everything you're doing and everything you're saying and you would continue to minister it to us and seal it in our heart in Jesus' name. Hey, this morning, would you stand up on your feet with me? We do this every week, but I want to remind you why we do it. Every week we take time to close our service in, in some worship. And it's because as we receive God's word, the Bible says we're to respond to God's word. And so whatever it is God's speaking to you, maybe, maybe you can't even articulate it. Can we just take a, take a moment and posture our heart, maybe lift our hands, lift our voice and say, God, I'm going to respond to you in worship, thanking you for what you're speaking, thank you for what you're doing and allowing you to seal it in our hearts. Come on, let's lift our voice, let's lift our hands, let's engage in worship, seal it in our heart this morning, Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. 
If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.